0: I'm here today with Kevin Wang, product manager at a ride hailing company. Kevin's Asia journey started in his birthplace in Nanjing, where he lived until he moved to Sydney when he was 10. Kevin had a plan early on to leverage his bilingual language capabilities across China and Australia. During his undergraduate degree at UNSW, Kevin did an exchange at China's prestigious Peking University. After graduating, Kevin's career spanned from Sydney to Beijing, Chengdu and now Singapore across financial payments platforms, a global digital advertising agency, and now Southeast Asia's largest ride-hailing platform. To me, Kevin's clout is having the conviction to leverage his language and cultural abilities whilst being able to successfully build expertise within the technology vertical that cuts across all regions including Australia and Asia. We talk about Kevin's China experiences, being a bilingual Chinese Australian, but yet somewhat foreign in his birth country. And we talk about his perspectives as an Asian Australian who has built a career in tech on Australian innovation and the role that Asian Australians play to uplift Australian tech workforces. Welcome to Cloud Asia, where we ask Australians to take us on their journey to Asia capability by choosing a food, song, show, and person that captures the essence of their experience to help us understand what being an Aussie with clout is all about. I'm Lucy Doo, and here is Kevin Way. Hi, Kevin. It's wonderful to have you on our show today.
1: Hi, Lucy. I'm glad to be here.
0: I normally ask some of my other guests about the first time that they moved to China or Asia. But for you, you have a slightly different journey. I might ask you about the first time that you moved to Australia as a 10-year-old. Do you have any memories of starting school back then?
1: Yeah, Lucy, I remember this very clearly, actually. I do believe it was like in early year six already when I moved to Australia in primary school. In China, I went to a local primary school where you would do homework all the way through Saturday, and then like towards Sunday afternoon, we were my parents would come to me and say, hey, "Kevin, have you make sure you finish your homework by next Monday, right? Don't like relax at that point yet." So that was a point where it was getting to later primary school in China, and then I remember moving to Australia. It was the week before Christmas yeah. the holidays, and knowing Australia, it was a time where the teachers basically turned all the computers on to be like computer games right and (laughs) then all the toys in the center of the classroom and we'll just have a fun day for the whole week right before Christmas it was just a surreal experience for me as a kid moving there I I felt really grateful for my parents to move me there
0: (laughs) (laughs) did you think it was a trick did you think it was some kind of test when they first had (laughs) all those games
1: I didn't, but I did get into a phase where I thought that was every day for primary school in Australia. So I was a little bit disappointed the next year when there was actually some homework and some studying to do. I thought it was like that for the entire primary school.
0: And how was it starting school in Australia, having spent so much time in China for your early years? Did you have to relearn English or were you fluent in English when you were studying in China already?
1: I did have to study English in China, although much of it is done, like, on the textbook. So it wasn't very useful. I remember coming to Australia. Most of my conversations with my friends were all, like, done with hand gestures. And yeah. I think that's a benefit of coming here for high school is that in primary school, like there's not a lot of, like, social pressure to establish yourself in any way. It's very fluid. So I, I didn't have any lot of pains in terms of, like... Fitting in or conversing with my friends. I did remember though, it was frustrating because I was flying through all these math exams in Australia because in China, like it's far ahead, but then you encounter a math question that has English text in there. And that's where I have to struggle and try and stop and read. I do remember those frustrations very clearly.
0: And I think when you come at such a young age, like you say at school, it's more curiosity. And from a language learning perspective, I did read somewhere that around 10 years of age is when it's really easy to pick up a second language almost naturally, whereas if you come later, it's much more difficult to learn a second language, whether that's Chinese or English or any other language. When we were chatting earlier, you went on high school, uni, and you went
1: and did exchange in Beijing Coming closer to the end of first year uni, it was a very popular thing to do, to look for where you would go to exchange in the second half of second year uni, I remember. Then in terms of going through all the lists of places that I could go, I think Beidao, Beijing University, it's kind of stood out for me because growing up in China, these universities like Beidao and Tsinghua, I'm probably sure you resonate with Lucy because you've lived in China, has so much prestige associated with their name that it was almost like hard to pass up that opportunity. So sure. I my kind of for Beida as my preference and then in my second year uni got to spend six months in Beijing University.
0: I also studied in Beijing a couple of years earlier than you. I went to Tsinghua for the same reason. These really prestigious Ivy League equivalent universities and capital city of China, uh, the heart of China. But I studied language studies because it was a really easy way to get on exchange. To be completely honest, I wanted to go on exchange. I wasn't organized enough and it was much easier to do six months of language study. But you took a slightly different path, right? You obviously already have the language foundation because of your time as a child in China. What made you want to choose China and those courses at that time?
1: I think when I was applying for my exchange program, In order for me to graduate at the same schedule, it was required for me to do what my scheduled required courses are Mm -hmm. in those courses. But what was fortunate was that when I looked through the courses available from PKU, particularly the ones from Wonghua School of Management, Mm a lot of courses were often in English. There's only one, I think, microeconomics course in the economics faculty that I did in Chinese. And another one, I think I also did a language course in the faculty of Chinese language studies
0: your reason apart from of it's an excellent university to be studying and doing exchange in China it was probably less from a cultural or language perspective right
1: right I thought and knew from fairly early on in my studies that my career prospects in the future were somewhat going to I'll try and leverage my bilingual capabilities across mm-hmm. China and Australia So when it came to exchange, that was partially for this reason. And then later on, when I started working as well, deciding to move to China in my early career to work as well, that's also in service of that general direction.
0: What brought you back to Beijing to work?
1: After I graduated university, I got into a graduate program in a payments company from the US, but based in Sydney. And after a couple of years, it felt like work was a little bit slow so to speak things there's a lot of regulations a lot of process in the financial sector in particular and i was kind of just looking for a change it was a change to be something that is fast paced and in a different region ideally as well to get me out of my comfort zone a little bit and then kind of kickstart the next phase of my career and then as it happens that one of my acquaintances in sydney he quit his job from the investment bank in sydney to move to beijing to lead a accounts management team in digital marketing. He was like, come join us if you're keen. And I thought, hey, that's where all the stars aligned, right? I really wanted to take a move to China. That role was open. So I thought, okay.
0: And is he the person that you've nominated as your person of cloud today? Why is he significant in that decision? Mm
1: -hmm. So he's from New Zealand originally. He doesn't have any Chinese background, right? He doesn't speak the language. Yet he was comfortable enough to take a leap of faith into a foreign country, which he knows nothing about. I always knew I wanted to work in China in my early career. And I was thinking, if he's willing to do it, then what is holding me back from doing that? I've been feeling uneasy before about the process of leaving everything I know in Australia to move to China. But he inspired that switch over to say, OK, I want to do it. Had he not been that inspiration i wouldn't have had enough courage maybe to make the switch yet at that point. yeah
0: you might have stayed in australia for a few more years exactly i'm curious to know i spent as you know a few years in shanghai as well as an australian expat how has living in china for you as an expat affected some of your understanding of chinese culture given that you had spent a Good part of your earlier life in China, and then returning fifteen years later. Was there any unexpected learnings or surprises along the way?
1: Unexpected, not so much. But it was a very different part. It was a lot more real. Being immersed inside the cities that Mm -hmm. I was living in before moving to China for work full time, I still had somewhat regular visits to China as a tourist and visiting Mm. family but those trips were less real in the sense that you were doing the touristy things you're going to the nice restaurants your relatives take you to then being in china fully must. then that's where you have the opportunity on the weekends to take a subway all the way out right to see how the real people live and also in terms of being there throughout the good times and the bad times i remember there were a few times in beijing I lived near the Shemal Tianjie, right. This area with a lot of neon lights, and yes. when the dust storms settle in, it's a bit of a Blade Runner scenario happening there during yeah. the winter in Beijing. There were good times and bad times, and when you're in that environment where you're not easily able to get away, it feels a lot more real about in terms of the trade-offs about living there and the pros and cons. I can definitely
0: say that one unexpected learnings that I found when I first moved to Beijing to study is that. Not every Beijing person eats Peking duck every day (laughs) of the week. (laughs) There are other foods and much more delicious foods, which is a segue to your food nomination for today. What have you picked?
1: I picked this dish called uh, yitou pao bing, which translates to fish head and pan-baked bread. I do believe it's it's not a dish from Beijing, and that was intentional, but it was a dish that was popular when I was there in 2014 and firstly maybe explain what the dish is basically it's a very very large fish head braised in a soil sauce based soup the fish head would be as large as a human arm so it's served on a plate that large where the fish head is cut in half and braised and you have basically these pan bread across on the side and when you eat it you would just take the pan bread and you dip it in the soup and eat it with the fish meat it was intentionally not a beijing dish that i picked it was because Coming to Beijing as I'm not a pure foreigner, because my parents still had a lot of friends and family, distant relatives that lived in Beijing. It's basically customary that you have to treat them to dinners every now and then. And I felt very insecure about treating them to any Beijing dishes because they might like laugh at me for how much of a foreigner I am. So I intentionally be <laughs> yeah. something that was not local that I liked, enjoyed very much at the time. Throughout my year and a half, I think in Beijing, I probably treated three or four times that dish to my friends or relatives?
0: I'm very curious to try it. It actually sounds absolutely delicious. Probably a little bit fiddly for people who aren't big bone pickers. I can imagine the dish right now with the bread to soak up that delicious sauce. I imagine you can add spice to it, which is perfect for one of those Beijing winter nights. Exactly. For your song. You have picked a song by an artist called Zhao Lei or Chen Zhu. Can you tell us why you chose this song?
1: Sure. And firstly, I think maybe for the audience that haven't checked out this song, definitely go check it out. If there was one song that represents a city in its exact form, that would be basically this song in China in particular. A year and a half into working in Beijing, the tech culture and the overtime culture was getting a little bit too much for me. And it just felt like my life revolved around work and there was a lot of overtime. And I was looking for the next thing I want to do career-wise. And as it happens that at the time, my same company in Beijing was expanding into Chengdu. They were moving a lot of tech talent over to Chengdu because it's a slightly lower cost tech center. So when the opportunity arose, I put my hands up immediately to go there. The song kind of depicts a lifestyle in Chengdu that is a lot more relaxed. So Chengdu, for the audience that doesn't know, is a major city, it's the capital of the Sichuan province in China, but it's also a city that's renowned for its work-life balance. There's a saying, I think, in Chinese, where it's like, if you are young, don't go into Sichuan, and if you're old, don't leave Sichuan. So, with that reputation, also this song, right? I had it on loop in Beijing at one period in my life, and it just felt like it's everything I wanted to look for at that period in my career. So, I took that opportunity to move.
0: Let's take a bit of a listen. <laughs> This song actually came up last week and it's a bit of an anthem, but a very emotional song. You have nominated for us a documentary for your movie, which is called Translated into English, Hello Life, 生活万岁. Wan Sui. Tell us a little bit about why you picked this documentary for us.
1: This documentary is a very low-profile documentary. Actually, this documentary is available for free on YouTube. It is. I checked it this morning. (laughs) I was reading a director's review of what motivated him to make the documentary. And it was very much that China, in the age of modernization, the media attention is very much focused on the top 1%, the glamour, the economic growth, and the speed of movement. So people don't focus as much on the everyday citizen in a city and how they live. Mm. So what he wanted to do with this documentary was take a snapshot of a day in the life across many major cities. Going through this documentary, there are basically people from Lhasa, from Beijing, from Shanghai, from Shenzhen, Guangzhou, etc. In understanding what do they struggle with and also what is their attitude towards life. For me, it was very insightful because... As a Chinese-Australian who's grew up in China, I always knew that foreigners that live in China are in this kind of bubble. It's a different set of stores you would go to, a different place you shop at, different people mm. you would with. But I always thought that I was kind of the exception, so to speak. Mm. But going through this documentary, I think what he made me realize is that I'm also in a different bubble of a different sort. Living, yes. in China, There's still a, a lot of diversity in terms of how people live. One thing that I really liked about this documentary from an artistic standpoint is that it's very easy to look at people who are not so well in society and make a documentary into one that's overflowing with compassion and with basically almost a little bit of pity. I think what they were trying to resemble was exactly what hardship they were experiencing in their life and then basically articulate their optimism towards life itself. It's very motivating and inspiring because that's all of us, right? We all have our different struggles in our different ways in our everyday life and we find our Absolutely. way. Absolutely.
0: That's excellent. And we will definitely include a link to the documentary in our show notes and I'll add it to my own list as well. You're now in Singapore. You moved there in 2019 as an expat. Been in China, different cities in China, and now in Singapore. And thinking about the different bubbles, how does your experience being different in Singapore now as an expat?
1: So Singapore, I remember, and this is way before I moved to Singapore permanently for work. This would have been a time in 2015 when I visited a friend here for a personal holiday. And he mentioned that Singapore was like Asia for noobs. <laughs> that was his terminology for it. <laughs> And the reason for that is like in Singapore, obviously, everybody speaks English. The infrastructure is wonderful. Everywhere is extremely clean and everything you need is very convenient. So in in that sense, moving from China to Singapore has been really easy in terms of every part of life. Mm. I I do miss Chengdu, Beijing, and also really other major cities as well, is that Singapore as a whole city kind of doesn't have as much color, so to speak, in terms of your Mm. everyday entertainment and life and the variances in different lifestyles people have That's something that every now and then I do want to take a trip somewhere else to experience that element of every day-to-day life
0: has there been anything about living in Singapore that has been quite challenging and or contrary to what you had expected
1: this is probably the Australian in my identity speaking. <laughs> during COVID times, I spent the entire couple of years with COVID in Singapore. And Singapore is really small. It's probably it like 700 something square kilometers. Mm-hmm. And it's just very hard to find things to do. You feel like you are very much enclosed in the space mm-hmm. during that time. And now that the border is opened, I've kind of made a point that I would travel every three or four weekends to go to a different country. So long as that's happening, I feel like living in Singapore is fantastic.
0: I think that's the difference with China, right? There's such diversity between provinces, between cities. It's really easy to find a lot of different cultures, subcultures within one country and even one city. Lastly, obviously had a very I think, successful career that's crossed multiple cities, multiple countries, continents in the tech sector. I was reading that the Australian tech sector is starting to be a really big contributor to the Australian economy, coming in third behind mining and banking. Can you share some of your thoughts on the strengths and perspectives that Asian Australians can bring to the Australian Tech
1: workforce? I do think Australia, being where we are located in the world, it's it has that regional proximity to both Southeast Asia and East Asia Mm -hmm. relative to, for example, a company that's based in the valley or somewhere in in Europe. In that sense, we're kind of the close proximity value and a source of innovation for the region. So Mm -hmm. I think companies like Atlassian and Canva, we're definitely seeing that. Australian innovation has sourced a lot of regional growth for this area. Having said that, I do think speaking personally, where maybe from a speed of change perspective, Australia Mm. is relatively slower to some of the East Asian markets. And also we're seeing Southeast Asia as well in terms of whether the established processes are holding back the pace of innovation. I do also see that a little bit more in Australia compared to some startup that's in Jakarta, for example, where they don't really have any constraint to speak mm. of. So that's an area maybe to watch out for. And maybe also because we're close to these markets, we can also leverage the benefits of that environment. As yeah. a of company.
0: Absolutely. And I think you make a really good point about our proximity and cultural alignment to a lot of US or European tech companies it's a natural hub really for the US tech companies to be based in Australia uh, rather than in other parts of Asia because there is already a lot of that connectivity and that also means that we can bring in a lot of the Asia capability and Asia connections whether it's through Asian Australians or Australians who have worked and spent a lot of time in the region it's been really wonderful to speak with you today thank you so much kevin
1: likewise lucy thank you for inviting me on the show
0: don't forget you can subscribe to clout asia on apple podcasts spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts you can also find us on instagram and linkedin as clout asia